You're listening to episode 66 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children where we chat about all things children and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today's episode is episode two of a five-part special self-care series that I'm featuring on the Chat About Children podcast. And the series has come about inspired by the release and launch of my gift book for mums, Flourish for Mums, 21 Ways to Thrive with Self-Care and Acceptance. It was released on the 7th of April. To find out more about Flourish for Mums, just check out flourishformums.com. Now, For many of us listening, we are parents, we are carers, or we are professionals who work with children. And as we know, these are roles that are very much giving of ourselves at all levels. And in order to be able to grow with the children in our lives, we also have to be nurturing ourselves. And I know that we want to give children the best of us rather than what is left of us. So today's episode is quite a fascinating one, actually. And I know that you are going to absolutely love it. I know I experienced some light bulb moments during this chat with Karen Ely when it comes to the quest, I guess, to look after yourself through looking after your money. And with Karen, we explore how understanding you means understanding your money story. And Karen is just amazing. She shares super valuable tips and activities that we can pretty much implement right away on the journey of practicing self-care. So let's get this chat started with Karen. Karen Ely is an experienced and former financial advisor who has worked in the financial services industry for 22 years. Karen now helps women who feel confused or overwhelmed with money matters to build financial competence and confidence through coaching. Karen practices a unique step-by-step coaching process that uncovers the deep-seated money blocks that subconsciously hold women back personally and financially. With this awareness, she assists clients to move from financial confusion to financial clarity by providing them with the practical tools, knowledge, support, and strategies they need to become fully financially empowered. Now, Karen is also a former shoe addict, so she does understand the temptation of wants versus saving, and she's committed to showing women what's possible with money from both a practical and psychological perspective. Karen, welcome to Chat About Children to the special self-care series. Thank you, Sonia. I'm so happy to be here. Now, this is a topic I know that so many people are going to be giving undivided attention to because as we've stated in the topic of today's episode, looking after your finances equals looking after yourself or vice versa. It really goes both ways. So before we dig into that topic, Karen, tell us a bit more about you and what motivated you to enter the finance industry to begin with. Thanks, Sonia. So there was no real motivation for me to enter the financial services industry. I was a very creative, artistic child, but my father had drummed in for me, you'll never make any money as an artist. You need to find a practical career and profession. So as a good daughter does, I studied accounting at university. I just found the numbers and finance came pretty easy to me. So after doing an accounting degree, I worked in one of the large four banks for a couple of years in personal business lending and then transitioned over into 
investment advice and financial planning, which I actually really enjoyed because I found that it wasn't just the numbers and the figures. It was also about people and relationships, and I really enjoyed that aspect. And I saw that working in financial planning, we're able to make a real difference in people's lives. So I found that really enjoyable. And over the past 10 years, however, I became really curious as to why people do what they do with money. So I started studying financial psychology, neuroscience, which is a study of our brain and behavioural finance to really uncover why we do what we do with our money. So yeah, I'm very motivated, very happy to be in this industry now. But I felt like I could only do so much as a financial advisor working on the practical elements of money management, superannuation, insurance, cash flow, budgeting, and I could actually make more of an impact in people's finances by actually dealing with the internal issues that we have around money, which is our relationship with money. So I left my financial planning practice a couple of years ago to establish a coaching business where predominantly I work on more of the internal issues that we have with money. So I very much come from the space of helping people manage their behaviour so then they can manage their finances. Yes, and that I imagine is the, the core of it, right? Because people are kind of doing what they're doing and not necessarily stopping to ask why. It's just they've often accepted this is just how it is. And that's where you enter and come along and go, okay, let's really dig into this and see what's happening and how things can change. So tell us a little bit more. And I have to, because it's all about, you know, not maths, but money. I have to put in an equation, looking plus after yourself equals looking after your finances. So if we're looking at that equation, tell us a little more about that. And you've already touched on it, but tell us a little more about that equation. Yeah, I love using that phrase, looking after your finances is looking after yourself. And it is about that self-care. I tend to work with the majority of my clients are women and many of those are mothers. And as in every other area of our life, we tend to put our kids, our partners, our parents, everybody else first before ourselves. And we can also do that with our money. But the problem with doing that is that time and money are like this power couple. So if we put off doing things around our money to take care of other people and not putting ourselves first, we're actually giving ourselves a real financial disadvantage later in life because the earlier you start, the more powerful the effects of compound interest and making the most of your money whilst you're working or not working. So that's really important. Absolutely. So why do people come to you? Do they come to you? Because it'd be great to, as you said, kind of early on, be proactive and notice it. But I'm sure that a lot of people come to you well beyond that stage. But you tell us, why are people coming to you? What is it that we're often missing? So like those general themes around, you know, why people are not looking after their finances. You've mentioned one, the mum kind of subgroup, I guess, where there is that tendency to pop things down the bottom of the to-do list, or I'll pay attention to that later. What are some other themes? What is it that we're missing and why are people coming to you? Yeah, so I see a lot of negative emotions around money. So there's embarrassment, there's shame, and there's guilt. And no one wants to deal with those emotions. They're pretty heavy, which you know plays out in the form of procrastination, or I'll put that off, or I'll do that later. So There's a lot of those emotions. And so it's quite difficult sometimes for someone to put their hand up and say, hey, I don't know what I need to do with money. We're not taught this in school. So unless we had really good role models as children, you know, we're not taught how to manage our money. 
And then you come to a certain age where it becomes embarrassing. So I should know this. You know, we should on ourselves so much as women and as mums. And so there's that real block and barrier then to actually reaching out and asking for help. And money being one of those topics, that kind of like thickness factor to it. It's not something that we have conversations with our girlfriends or other women. So as Brene Brown says, shame loves shadows. So if we're not talking about these issues, um, they just sit there in the darkness. So, you know, why do people come to me? It's usually in a period in time where something dramatic happened and they need to. So it could be a separation or a death of a family member. Or a big trigger that I tend to find is, you know, once women hit that 40-something age, they're kind of like, oh, wow, um, I really need to start paying attention to my money. You know, retirement's not that far away. <laughs> so that is a big theme that I tend to see with women is that, you know, why I, oh, I just I need to get better at my finances. I need to start doing something now. So they've got a real stone in their shoe that, you know, forces them to take action, which is wonderful that they're doing it then. But if they could have started 10 years ago, it would have been a lot easier. Because it sounds like there's like almost a definite trigger to it, isn't there? There's just something has happened that's caused me to have to do this now. Whereas before all that, it's just if we can get away with just doing whatever we're doing, we just do it. (laughs) Absolutely. It's like what you said before. I, I find there's a lot of unconsciousness around money. So I'll talk to people and say, oh, I don't know where my money goes. It just goes. So they're completely unconscious to it. There's no consciousness or intention around their money. And the problem is that those unconscious patterns and habits that we just fall into, we keep playing them out day after day, year after year, until something happens to shake us up, to trigger us. We're like, okay, I need to, I need to give this full attention now, the attention that it deserves and make it a priority. Yes. And you, Karen, work really holistically with clients when it comes to financial health. So tell us a bit more about your approach. Mm. So as a financial advisor and the financial industry as a whole, we tend to look at the external solutions. So, you know, traditionally, you know, what's your superannuation balance? You know, do your cash flow and budgeting, you know, insure yourself, check out your expenses. They're all external things. But the problem is that we we need to be looking at the internal issues because that's where we need to be making the change from. And when I talk about those internal issues, it's really our money mindset. And the work I do all starts with our money beliefs, which were formed during our childhood. So I've done a lot of study around neuroscience and our brain is this amazing computer. It's more powerful than any computer any man has made. And it's got this GPS system in it. And so it'll set on a path and it will just continue to take us there, uh, which sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Uh, if that's what we where we want to be taken, yes. Exactly <laughs> it's right. not where we want to be taken. I'm like, no. That's the problem. So that's the trap. We decided where we wanted it to go, where we wanted our life to go, probably around the age of you know 8 to 16. So we were very young. We weren't mature enough to make those decisions. But the way that our brain is wired is that, you know, we made those decisions. We made our beliefs about money. We made our beliefs about ourselves and relationship to money. And then we're on that path, which we do in a very unconscious manner. It's like just patterns that repeat over and over. It's our financial behaviors. 
And when it comes to our brain, there's three elements to our brain. And a big part of our brain is something that was inherited over millions of years. It's very instinctual and primitive, and it's wired for uh, for desire and for survival. And if you think of those two elements, they don't actually bode well when it comes to money. So we need to have this awareness and override those instinctual um, pulls that we have um, and actually take a more rational approach when it comes to making financial decisions rather than those really instinctual reactive responses. Gosh, that sounds like a lot of work, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> like just <It's> saying. Like... <laughs> <laughs> okay, this sounds great, but it's also like it sounds, it does sound amazing in theory, but then also my brain goes into the practical. How does this look in real life? And obviously this is where you come in and where you guide people depending on where they're up to, but it can be really confronting, um, you know, for someone who just is like, apart from the shame and the guilt and you're right, there isn't necessarily that open ability to just chat to someone because it's it's almost a taboo topic so you've got all that going on and then there's the overwhelm and it can be really confronting for someone so how does someone and I know this is a big question but how does someone move out of that space because I imagine a person can stay in that overwhelmed space for a long time is there some way that you know people can be helped to come out of that space and take action to help themselves and to care for themselves Yeah, great question. And you're right, they can stay in that place for years and decades. And I see it quite often with clients that I work with. So the first part is to really understand and have some self-awareness. And I think it's hard to have that self-awareness on your own. It's really, if you can have someone working with you uh, to actually uncover your financial behaviours that perhaps a little bit unresourceful. And the, the best way to do that is through going back and exploring, you know, what was life like for you as a child? You know, was it um, secure and safe? Did your parents have stable jobs and money wasn't a problem? There was always money around. Uh, or was it a bit different to that where you know, a parent lost a job or a business went bankrupt or there was lots of moving houses or people, parents lost their houses? And there's a lot of... Um, you know, scarcity and fearfulness around that. So it's really about going back and and understanding what perhaps are my emotions when it comes to money because the thing is money is just a medium of exchange. It has no meaning. We go to work, we get paid, we run a business, we use our hours and we get paid for those hours that we work. And then we go and use that money to buy things or services that we want. So it's a medium of exchange. But the thing is, we attach as human beings a lot of emotions to money. And those emotions might be things like security or freedom or uh, anxiety or fear or powerfulness. Uh, And we all have very individual meanings around money. So the first step is to actually uncover, you know, what does money mean to you? What do you believe about wealthy people? Do you believe you know rich people are evil or rich people are lucky or rich people have worked hard to get where they want to be? Because those things are what's holding you back or blocking you if you're not getting the financial results that you want. You know, we all inherit these financial traits from our parents. Um, so the first step is to actually, after you've gone through your own money story and, and thought about those significant money memories, you know, look at your parents and how would you describe them around money? Were they really frugal or resourceful? 
Were they really good income earners? Were they core income earners? And then have a think about, well, which traits of those do I share with my parents? So it's about really having that self-awareness. And then another important step is forgiveness because we all make financial F-ups and those energies can hold us back too. So it's about being really kind to yourself and forgiving yourself for your past mistakes. You know, they happen for a reason and it's just about acknowledging that and forgiving yourself and moving forward with a fresh sheet of paper. Yeah, it's really taking ownership. And I love what you've just described there because it it helps us understand ourselves to start with and to start answer some of the questions as to what are we seeing in the present? So the results of the past, what are we seeing in the present? And then in looking back at, as you said, you know, money memories and those childhood aspects, it's not about casting blame on anything or giving yourself an excuse. Well, this is why I am the way I am because blah, this is what happened in my childhood. But it's more about acknowledging this is what happened. It's helped me understand my current situation. Now I can pick that up and I can take ownership and accountability of that and I'm ready to move forward and out of the space that I'm in. Brilliant. I really like that, Karen. I really do like that. So in terms of, you know, the associations that money has, and it's a bit different for everyone, but one that I hear quite often is the link that's made between money and self-worth. Now, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, Sonia, I see that too, and I hear it as well. There is a link, there shouldn't be, but, you know, quite often people attach their self-worth to their net worth, and your net worth is basically just a figure of all of the assets that you own and you take away all of the liabilities or debt that you have and it gives us a number and it's like our net worth. But, yeah, we do attach that to our self-worth and who we are as a human being and our worth in society. The thing is, like, I think we're all wounded children walking around in some form of another and things happen during our childhood and they can be significant or they can be quite minor, but... The thing is that, you know, as children, we need to feel secure, we need to feel loved, and we need to feel like we're enough. And what I see with the clients that I work with, and there's no exception with any human being that I've worked with or or studied, is that at some period in our childhood, our needs don't matter. So our parents might be really busy and we come to them with, I want to show you this, and they're just too busy, and so they're like, oh, I'll have a look at it later. And so as a little child, we internalise that as, oh, okay, I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy. Or you might come to your parents and, you know, upset, you know, your doll's head broke off or something like that and you're in tears and, and a parent might say, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it and, and just brush it off. So we get to learn that quite often our needs don't matter and it, it's more around, you know, our parents' need. And then so we create this outer shell to protect ourselves from that and that outer shell is very much attached to our self-worth. Anyway, we can start, you know, dismantling that association because I know a lot of people listening, there's a very tight link there that their self-worth is matched to, you know, as you said, their net worth, particularly if they are in a stage of financial difficulty. I'm sure there is a lot of that, you know, really negative self-talk and self-blame and lots of putting themselves down. Like All of that, I'm sure, would be going on, which wouldn't help their own self-esteem and self-worth. Is there any kind of beginning block to start dismantling that? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So there's an exercise I take clients towards the end of our journey, and it is around a life inventory. So it's around writing down all of the things that you're really good at as a child. So, and all of those achievements and accomplishments, it might be, you know, getting first prize in an art competition or being a really good runner at athletics or, you know, whatever, or really good at maths or really good at art or whatever it is. But just making a, a list of all of the things that you are really good at and just acknowledging those because quite often as we, as we enter adulthood, we forget about all of those great attributes and qualities that we have. So writing down all of your achievements, writing down your qualities and your traits, all of the really positive ones. And then having a look at those and saying, well, which ones am I actually utilising in my life to earn money from? And quite often I find that there's some really good traits and characteristics that clients have, but they're in this career or job that just doesn't resonate with what their strengths are. And so to be able to go through that process of doing a life inventory of yourself, just acknowledge all the really good things about you rather than focusing on the negative things and you know as human beings we do tend to focus on those negative things and you know that goes back to our instinctual brain and it's, it's just there to keep us safe so it's very responsive but we need to override that and look at all of the positive things there's a great book that i'd love to share with your listeners i think every female should read this book it's called the female brain mm. by luann brisendine and it is a fantastic book and see, the, the study of the brain, it's only been the last 20 years that they've actually dissected a female's brain. All of the scientific research over 100 years has been a male brain. Gosh, this must be a, a, a really sizable book if it's about the female brain. Wow. Okay, sorry, continue. Love that show. Yes, it's, it's a much more superior book. Oh. <laughs> it's really cleverly broken up into chapters of stages of our life from being a baby, a toddler, a child, puberty, motherhood, all the way to perimenopausal, menopausal. The thing is there's only 3% difference between the male brain and the female brain, but when you're talking about thousands of different neurons, it does make a big difference and there are some really distinct differences between the female brain and the male brain. But it's it's a fascinating book to read and it explains a lot about how our instinctual part of our brain, it does have a big impact on the way that we are around money, the way that we have our self-worth and confidence, and the way that we actually language, which is really important when it comes to money. Yes. So the female brain, is that what it's called? So we'll have to pop that in the show notes because that sounds like a great self, self-care tool or resource for listeners. So that's brilliant. So I know we've kind of touched on these, but if you had to summarize perhaps the top two or three obstacles or blocks to financial abundance and health, what would they be? There's just one big one that stands out for me. You know, we're only limited by our beliefs. Hmm. So I just see it all of the time. I, when I work with clients, we, we do an exercise called a money biography and we basically go through every year of their life that they can remember and recall in regards to what money was like around that. And what I tend to find is whatever happened between the ages of five and 16, there's certain themes in there and we can articulate from those certain beliefs around money. And then what I tend to find is that as I'm going through their biography, I'm looking for patterns 
And I see those patterns repeat over and over again in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s. So I know that this is driven by those financial beliefs and money mindset that was formed quite earlier. So this is always the block. And what I was talking about before in regards to forgiveness, you know, we we carry all this, you know, shame and embarrassment. And it doesn't matter if you've got a little bit of money or a lot of money. You know, people that are ultra wealthy have similar emotions of guilt as well. It just plays out in a different way. So it's about really acknowledging that and understanding where it's come from and rewiring those those neurons and those pathways around our brain. So it, it's kind of like when you learn to play the piano, I, I learned as a, as a child to play the piano, and I didn't just sit down at the piano stool and pl- start playing. I had to learn how to read the music. I had to practice scales every day over and over again and then practice pieces of music. And then, you know, after a year, I could sit down at the piano stool and just play. It just automatically happened to me. And so the same thing we can do with our brain, we can actually rewire those beliefs that we have about money. It just takes time and practice. Yes, good. There is hope. Thank you. Yeah, that's what that's what we want. It's what we want to know. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I really do like that you made it clear that really, regardless of the money status of a person, it doesn't mean anyone is immune from challenges when it comes to, you know, as we said, looking after yourself and looking after your money. It, there's no golden ticket to uh, escaping those challenges that do come up. I would love to hear, Karen, a little bit about maybe someone you've worked with that stands out that's made a significant change because you are working at a deep level with people and you are making absolutely huge changes to their lives. Is there someone that comes to mind that you can share just briefly their story and their outcome? I've got so many great stories that I could share. But my mind just keeps going at the moment for me to share mine. So if you're happy for, for me to Absolutely. Share mine. Go for it, Karen. So I'm so passionate about this work because after going through the process myself, so I had a money coach a couple of years ago and, you know, I've always worked in financial services. I did the right thing, just what my dad told me, and I got a good-paying job and earned lots of money over several years. But the thing is what I found is I never got myself into debt the money never stuck around either. I was just really bad at savings. I put money into a house because I knew it was a forced savings and, and I sold the house a couple of years ago and made the most stupidest financial decisions and choices with that money. And listeners are probably thinking, Judge, you're going, well, you're in finance. You know, you've done accounting degrees. You've done financial planning. How can yeah. you be so dumb when it comes to money? And it is because of that psychological um, mindset and what we believe around money. And so when I went through and did my own money biography, my first memories around money was my father leaving at a young age and we had school banking accounts, you know, back then, you know, in the 70s, it was passports and you could see all the deposits going in there. And when he left my mum and, and my sister and I, he cleared out our bank accounts. So, you know, pretty crappy thing to do you know, for a child, but that's what I experienced around money. And then a year or two later, you know, my single mom was doing an amazing job raising us and she had someone come stay with us just to look after us after school while she was working and, and help out around the house a bit. And she was with us for a period of time. My mother was just such a loving, trusting, but naive person and she used to keep all her savings in a sock drawer. 
Mm. And you know where this is going. Yeah, I do. (laughs) I'm cringing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one weekend we went out and came home and she was gone and so was mum's money. So the money belief that I made to be true was that there's no point in saving money because someone will take it away from you. Mm -hmm. And as I was explaining that our, our brain is like this GPS and it's constantly searching out for us to be proven right, I was, had no awareness to this. So I was not conscious of this belief that I had no money. So I'd earned good money, but I just wasn't good at saving it. And as I shared before about patterns repeating, and I see it through my clients, and, and my patterns were that I was in a long-term relationship and we had a joint bank account. And when we broke up, he took tens of thousands of dollars out of the bank account. Ouch. So it repeated again. It repeated again. And then I was married a few years later and we separated. We had a joint bank account and lost even more than that just taken out of our savings account. So without this awareness of what was going on and playing out, I just just had these patterns and behaviours that I just formed. But, But now that I'm aware of that and I've really changed my own beliefs around money and it was very much now that I believe that it is safe to save, I can protect my money. Because just like children, you know, we were told about Father Christmas and the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy. And then we got to a certain age where we were like, well, no, these things aren't true. And we stopped believing them. Yeah. But, but the problem is our money beliefs, unless we actually do this work, we actually don't grow up and say, well, actually, those stories aren't true. They're not real. But we just keep playing them out in patterns over and over again in our lives. Yes, that's really powerful stuff, Karen. And this is where I guess, as I said, your work is so deeply impactful and makes significant change because you're facilitating that dismantling of those beliefs that are untrue and then having you know, individuals embedding new ones, which you know can be really difficult. It is obviously very possible, but it can be so difficult if it's been decades of, as you said, that pattern recurring and something that that has been, you feel just a part of you. It takes that guidance and that real work. But I love the success story that you've, you got the awareness, you learned from all that, and you've moved into a completely different space now. And you're able to use that and you are using it to help others, which is brilliant. And recently you wrote an article about couples. Tell us just a little bit about this. You know, why is it such an important dynamic when it comes to you know, couples communication you know, around money? Tell us more. Yes, I love working with couples. It's just such dynamic work because as I shared my money story and all of your listeners have your own money story, so does your partner or your husband. And quite often they can be on very different pages, very different backgrounds. You could have someone that's come from a very wealthy background where, you know, there was a lot of abundance mindset around money, but you could be married to someone that came from a very poor background where money was really tight and it was fearful and anxious and they hold on to that money and very controlling with that money. So you've got different dynamics and behaviours playing out, which quite often leads to not being on the same page. And as we've spoken about before, you know, we don't talk about money. It's an uncomfortable topic to talk about. And, you know, having effective communication around money is so important because we come into a partnership with these unconscious agreements that we make. And it might be something like, well, I'll go and 
earn all of the money and you stay home and look after the kids or I'm really good at earning money but I just don't want to manage it. I'm just going to give that financial responsibility to you. But that person may not want that financial responsibility. They're no better at managing money either but we just have these assumptions that we make when we come into a partnership and we, we naturally just fall into these roles. But if we don't actually have communication around that, as so we are you comfortable with that? Can we share and be really open with, you know, so both people know what's going on with the, the money management. They don't have to be doing it, but they need to have an awareness. And quite often I see that one person just completely checked out and then the other person's having to juggle everything. They form a lot of resentment around that. And, you know, I talk a lot about financial intimacy in relationships. There's different, different types of intimacy in relationships and one of them is financial. And when that breaks down, it infects other areas of intimacy as well. And I quite often see it as, um, you know, physical and sexual intimacy as well. We just sort of block off. Or we, you know, might punish our partner and go out on a massive shopping spree or, you know, just might rein in the finances and say, no, you're not having anyone. They're really controlling. So there's all these really interesting dynamics that play out in couples. And what I know to be true is that wherever we're having a conversation about money, we're really having a conversation about our values. And we will always, human beings, defend our values to the death. So if you walk on someone's you know, values and you know, if I were to use an example, oh, you're always out shopping or buying a new pair of shoes or handbags or, you know, and their value amount around that might be significance or it might be beauty or it's, you know, there'll be a value attached to that. And if that gets attached, we can get very defensive. Wow. Gosh, that's a podcast episode in itself. Couples communication around finances, financial literacy, financial intimacy. My goodness. You're right on the money with that one, Karen. That's my mum joke. I'm allowed to have those. Like, I like playing with words. Anyway, moving right along. But yeah, you're right on the money. Like that's just, I know, absolutely know the countless listeners that have just heard you describe that segment on couples communication and money and just be nodding and just have that inner feeling within themselves just going, that is me. Like a hundred percent, hundred percent spot on. So yes, it would be a fascinating dynamic to work with, but it is so important. It is so important. And that's part of looking after ourselves. So thank you for for sharing that with us because there's there's a lot of depth there. And a lot of people getting out of their comfort zones too. That's huge. Let's have this conversation. Let's be really open and transparent about what everyone is thinking and feeling and what it means to one another. And it's quite a a necessary, not even discussion. It's an ongoing way of managing your relationship and, and the health of it. Absolutely. And the quality of those conversations are so important. So you know, we can either be operating above the line where we take full financial responsibility for our own actions and behaviours, or we can work below the line where we become a victim or we blame. So it's really important when we have those conversations with our partners, it's not around, well, oh, you made me do this, or I feel like I can't do anything because of this. It's sort of like, well, this is how it impacts on me. Perhaps I'd like to do it this way and just really take responsibility and, you know, communicate how it impacts you and how you'd like to be treated instead. Because we need to be able to have these conversations in a really supportive, non-judgmental, kind way. And when we're in the heat of the moment, we don't often do that. So it's about just creating that 
place and taking a step backwards and having empathy for the other person and understanding their own background and their financial triggers because we've all got them. Yes, absolutely. Karen, what a jam-packed chat we've had today. So much value in all of that. And I guess just to summarize some of the things that we've talked about, you really talked about that self-awareness first and understanding your own money story, looking at that money biography, identifying those key kind of early years, the associations and the meanings that we've put with money as well. And then you gave that beautiful example of the inventory when it comes to really just sitting down and taking some time with ourselves to understand what are the things that, you know, I guess we're one, not wonderful at, but yes, we're wonderful at, but also things that we know are a part of, I guess, the goodness that we bring to ourselves and to others. So that inventory and looking at self-worth is brilliant. And there's so much more, but they're kind of the ones that the first ones that we could potentially start with as takeaways that people can start implementing right away. Were there any other ones that you you felt you wanted to add to the implementation like right away? So make money a priority. And it's about setting a time in your diary once a week to actually work on your money and put it in there and give it as importance like you would any other meeting that you would schedule into your week. It might just be 30 minutes. Managing our money can be really overwhelming and it's not about chopping the whole tree down. It's just about pruning little bits. So if you can just focus and give yourself half an hour every week or every fortnight to actually just really focus on your money and just write a list of what are five things that I could do. It could be reviewing my expenses. It could be learning something new about money. It could be checking my superannuation balance or going onto the Money Smart website and doing a projection to see, well, with the money that I've got now, how much do I actually need at retirement? So it's just about, you know, writing a list of what are five top things that you can do and then just chipping away at that, you know, week after week, just doing one for 30 minutes, but just make it a priority. Love it. Love that. Thank you. And that's a beautiful take-home message as well for everybody. Karen, where can we learn more about you? So you can learn more about me at my website, which is www.womentalkingfinance.com.au. And on there, I have a great diagnostic tool. There's a, a money quiz. So we didn't speak about it, but there's eight different money types. And so you can do a quiz to find out a bit more about yourself. So it's just that that extra layer on top of looking at your money story. You can actually find out what your money type personality is. And I encourage all the listeners to do that because those money personalities, it's not who you are, but where you are. And they're really great teachers of where we need to grow from. Oh, I love that. Awesome. So we'll pop that in the show notes as well. Karen, thank you for all the amazing work that you are doing and for contributing to this very important self-care series on Chat About Children. My absolute pleasure. Thanks, Sonia. Such a fantastic chat there with Karen Ely. Remember to check out the show notes at chataboutchildren.com. I would also love for you to share this episode with family, friends and with colleagues who you know will benefit from the super valuable information that was shared by Karen today. I would also be very welcoming for you to leave a rating and a review for the podcast on your favorite podcast player. Now, coming up next episode, episode three of the five-part self-care series, I'll be talking to Danny V from the Words and Nerds podcast, and we'll be chatting about self-care for teachers and artists. So make sure you tune in for episode three. Thank you so much for your attention today. It is time for you to flourish 
During this self-care series, I celebrate you and I look forward to chatting soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Vestalich, www.chataboutchildren.com.